Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. This weekend for USC, of course, it's homecoming against California. I'm on the SeatGeek app right now. You can see the best deals. They have a row four tickets that are 98 bucks. There's also the lowest price tickets, $34. They really make it easy. You can search multiple ticket sites, and they'll grade tickets based on value and tell you that right on the app. It'll help you immediately identify the best seats that will fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. So best of all, my listeners will get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app like I did. Enter promo code USC. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. Hey, Trojan fans. It's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. It's Election Tuesday. I hope everyone out, everyone went out and voted. Everyone here on the podcast today did. So we can talk about that. We're, we're going to get into politics deep. No, we're not going to do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> People uh, already turned it off. <laughs> we are not talking politics. I'm really excited to not see any more uh, ads on the television for uh, whatever propositions and stuff that's going on here. So I'm really excited to kind of put that behind and then we can see car commercials and beer commercials again. Just like before. But anyway, we're going to talk about USC's win up in Corvallis uh, against the Oregon State Beavers. Covered the spread, one by 17, so pretty good showing by the Trojans. We have Dan Weber on the line, and we have Keely Yor in studio. Dan, thank you for joining us. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. And uh, you mentioned the spread. I think it opened at 17, as I recall. Oh. And maybe did it go down to like 16 and a half or whatever, but... You know, you could beat the spread maybe, but those guys are pretty good. They're uh, pretty good. They make the spreads. They're pretty darn good. They are pretty good. Yeah. We have uh, Keely in studio. Hello, Keely. Hello. You feeling good? As good as I can be. Nice. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a it's a cool day. Everyone, I see a lot of people out there. I went to the gym this morning. I went to the, the, the polling place. You see all these people going out to vote. So uh, interesting day for sure. Where's your sticker? It's right here. Oh, I didn't see it. My bad. <laughs> on my shirt. I don't know. I actually put it on my sweaty shirt. It didn't stick. So I saved it and then uh, <laughs> put it up when I got took my shower. Then I got my regular sticker. But Dedication. Yeah. Uh, we got we got a lot of stuff to get to today. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. Or you could call or text us to 424-254-9141. That's our number. Send us a text. Hey. Tell us what you want. We got some text today. Uh, if you want to leave a voicemail, we had a bunch of voicemails on the Harvey Hyde show. Don't really have any ones uh, for today, but we got some emails. We got some text, and you know, it's a question-driven show. We love to uh, answer your questions. So thanks for 
sending those in. And if you want to go on, you know, we're on iTunes and Stitcher and Google Play and all those things. I just got the, for any Android users out there, I just, let me know what kind of podcast app you have. Like iPhones, like Keely, you have an iPhone. There's like a podcasting app. Yeah. app that's been built in forever. So iTunes is kind of a big one. I have an Android and I just, the Google podcast app, it's it's not very, uh, it's pretty simple, but I like it. It's pretty cool. You can listen to it at like 30, add 30%, you know, 1.3 speed and stuff. Oh, so you can wow. go through podcast, podcast a little quicker. Uh, so I like that, but check it out. And if you're on iTunes or any of those services, please leave us a five-star rating, uh, some positive feedback. That's always great. Uh, I don't check that very often. I need to check that more. Do you do you see those much, Keely, or not really? No, I don't really see them, but we appreciate them. We do appreciate. Yeah, it helps. Uh, you know, we've been around long. This is like our eleventh season covering the team, so we're already up there and all the searches and all. You know, it's it's a you know podcasting though, not covering the team. Right, podcasting. And I was it was funny. I was in the gym. Uh, with Daniel, I believe his name was. Man, I, I hope I. Did, it was Robert or Daniel. I think it was Daniel. I'll look it up. Um. So yeah, I was in the gym, Dan, and. Uh, do a little workout and some guy comes up to me and goes, are you Ryan? I was like, yes. And he goes, I'm listening to you right now. <laughs> like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. So we, you know, he was working out in the gym and uh, listening to Daniel. It was Daniel. Yes. Okay. I got that right. Good. Uh, well, shout out to Daniel if you're listening right now, but it, isn't it kind of weird? Like when stuff like that happens. Uh, Keely, tell him uh, the Saturday <laughs> story from uh, Corvallis. Okay. So, so Dan and I get into the elevator uh, in Corvallis. How far was the elevator from our car? <laughs> first off, okay, so first off, we are assigned parking spaces at the at Reeser Stadium, and normally yep. you don't get assigned parking spaces in the media lot. You kind of just drive in. So we have a specific spot. We wow. pull in to our spot, <laughs> and it looked like we were about to drive through the media entrance. We were right in front of it. Like you couldn't have gotten a better spot. Like if the head coaches didn't get a better spot, like we had the spot in the stadium. Nice. I know. So then we just stroll through. Security's not really a thing in Corvallis. As far yeah, as oh, no, they just wave, they wave you through. You know, you got you know rolling bags and carrying stuff. And hey, how you doing? Come on, you know. So we're 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 at the elevator, which was like. Six steps from our car, yeah. I think. It, it Something was, like that. It was pretty remarkable. And then we get into the elevator, and someone comes in at the last second and then kind of looks at us, and he goes, Are he, He's on his laptop. He's working on his laptop, head down, uh, just gets around the corner before the uh, elevator door closes, and he looks up at Keeley, and what does he say? He says, Are you Dan and Keeley? <laughs> <laughs> and he's wearing an Oregon State beanie, and we're like, yeah, we are. And he's like, I, I know I'm wearing this, but I actually work for Fox. I'm a huge USC fan, and I and I watch you guys all the time. That's awesome. I know. Some of the works, they, they got, he's like there to work. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, I know you guys. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious. Um, yes, it was. It's, it's funny because people, like, people were tweeting me like, oh, that's like celebrity status. Like, it's not – the, the celebrity is like wide known. Like, there's we are well known in a small group of people that follow – the USC football team. So if you follow the team pretty closely, you most likely know us, I guess, you know? Yeah. So, uh, but it is weird. Like when, you know, my sister was, she came to the Texas game and we had that, we had that meet and greet and there was like 250 people. I mean, it was insane. And my sister was just freaking out that all these people were coming up wanting to take pictures with us and stuff. So, but that's, a, that's not, that's not widespread. Like you can just walk down the street and it just, it has to be a very specific kind of person. It's a very niche thing. The <laughs> yeah. best part was when I was in college, like sometimes my friends would be like, oh yeah, my dad watches you all the time. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> I guess that's good. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> uh, well, before we jump into talking about the win over Oregon State, 
I wanted to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's. Uh, they've been great to us. I'm going to looking forward to homecoming this weekend because as I announced, it's someone people that actually they told me that I think Dan was like, hey, enjoy homecoming because people know I'm not going to be working because this is my 25th uh, reunion. So Yay. I'm part of the reunion committee and I'm going to just be going and enjoy it. But I'm going to definitely stop by. My friends are coming in from out of town. We're going to walk over the village and check out Trader Joe's and pick up some stuff uh, for tailgating. So definitely go check it out if you're going to be down there for homecoming. Uh, perfect time to go over to Trader Joe's at the USC Village. But I know you guys had some sort of uh, story for Trader Joe's and Corvallis, too. Dan, you take this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we we wanted to get there. I mean, you cannot believe how bad the traffic is on I-5 south of Portland. Uh, Oregon was playing UCLA first, and then USC, that's like 45 more miles, and then USC, uh, Oregon State. So, And it's two lanes. And you've got all of I-5 traffic from, you know, Canada to Mexico, <laughs> trucks on there. And, you know, they would give you traffic reports like, yeah, it's backed up here for no exact reason for, you know, like 10 miles. And then it's backed up here. So we went kind of early and, and didn't stop anywhere to eat. And so Keely said, well, we'll go to a market or somewhere and pick something up. And luckily you had your, your phone and you could, you know, check, I guess, Google Maps or whatever, and found Trader Joe's, and uh, it's like the hotspot uh, shopping area in Corvallis. Yeah, so it was it's like the, the most upscale place in Corvallis. <laughs> it was yeah. popping. Corvallis Trader Joe's is the place to be. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, you almost needed valet parking, uh, it looked like. So yeah. uh, so uh, they've got a got a great location, uh, without a doubt, in, uh, in Corvallis, and, and Corvallis, when you got to that one location, you thought, oh, this is a little more happening than I had realized Corvallis was. But uh, Pretty good. That yeah. was it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They usually get, when we talk about it with uh, people that cover other teams, they might be someone like in Texas or something, or like we're a smaller, more rural area. They're like, oh, we don't have a Trader Joe's yet. I think when the Notre Dame guys, like they don't have one in South Bend yet or something, so they would all... They were jealous that we would have all this kind of stuff and we're talking about. But yeah, thanks for thanks to Trader Joe's. Uh, make sure you check them uh, out. Believe it or not, Trader Joe's, I won't say who, is, uh, they are in northern Kentucky as we speak, scouting out a location for a Trader Joe's in my home territory. Actually, oh. I've, got them, I've got them going to a place two blocks from where I grew up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I, have, I have an interest in, uh, in Trader Joe's uh, going to northern Kentucky. Uh, what a small world that is. Nice. All right. Well, let's. We got to talk about the game. You guys were both up there. We were. Um, what was it? What was it like? Was it? Uh, I mean, we thought Oregon State would have a bunch of momentum after that crazy second half comeback against Colorado. Uh, they didn't really come out of the gate popping. You know, down twenty-one nothing. But they they had a they put a stretch together that was pretty good. But what was the yeah? Was the environment cool? Was it? Was it? Was it packed? Like, what was it like up there? Well, Reeser Stadium is a, a nice place to watch a football game. Uh, I thought they'd have more than the 35,000 that they announced. Uh, the weather was threatening. Turned out it, it you know, other than a, you know, few drizzles, it, it wasn't as bad as it surely could have been. Uh, uh, and yeah, I think they were energized a little bit, although I think when you're having a really bad season in general, uh, at a state school in a, in a location like Corvallis, you see the kids go home for the weekends and, and you maybe don't have a full student section, which I think hurts. I think Arizona was like that. Um, like at Utah, they do have a full student section, although I'm not sure <laughs> where that's going, uh, going now, but I think that hurt, hurt 
Oregon State a little bit. Um, and USC just way better. I mean, it was obvious from the get-go that as good as Jamar Je- you know, Jefferson has had as a season as a running back, if USC didn't let, want to let him run, he wasn't going to be able to run. I mean, they just, you know, shut him down. Uh, I thought it was the coming of age of those young, uh, you know, defensive linemen, like uh, obviously Jay Cafelli's had his moments, but Brandon Peely and Marlon, Marlon Tui-Pelotio, I think all played really well up front. And they're just bigger, better, stronger, more athletic than the uh, Oregon State kids. So they just pretty much had to throw the ball and, once USC figured out what the heck they were doing, uh, you know, after they scored the two touchdowns, uh, then uh, th- then it was kind of over. Although, you know, they had a chance if the uh, officials don't rule that uh, fumble, uh, scoop, and score play dead, um, you know, they tied the darn game up. So, yeah. you know, USC never safe probably with their tendencies. They're just not. They're not there. I mean, they're not going to be there. They did some of it, you know, with, uh, you know, with the uh, uh, ability to run the ball, and, and they gave. Uh, and now you see, you know, uh, uh, Akasedric and, and Vavai both can, you know, those are good running backs. It, it just, you know, you got to have a little bit of a seam, a little bit of a crease, and uh, and they can do some things. And against Oregon State, it kind of. I mean, I think they worked harder this week. I thought it was interesting that Clay said. He picked the exact same thing that we did on instant analysis was the moment that he thought something had changed this week in practice when they went, you know, double sessions on nine on seven uh, on Tuesday in full pads. And they, uh, they went once against once. They hadn't done that all year. So, again, for us, we think, okay, there's a connection being made to how you practice and how you do some things in games. I'm not sure the connection's been made. We think it's been made. We'll see if the coaches think that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, sometimes when you talk to Clay, it's like, well, we did this and it just happened. You know? No. There's a connection between doing that and what happened. But we don't always know if that's how, how they think at USC. What about you, Kaylee? What do you think about it, Trip? Um, I thought it was interesting. I don't know how much you take away from it because, of course, it's it's Oregon State and even then USC didn't have the best showing. But like Dan said, I don't think this team is ever going to have all three phases are going to be perfect and you're going to walk away feeling not feeling frustrated by one certain area. Um, I'm curious what this means going forward. I know I noticed from a lot of the players and also from Clay, they have they seem to have this motto now, whatever it takes. It seems like Clay has made this a turning point and basically wants to finish November strong. Um, he told us in his postgame presser that they left they let out a like a primal scream at the end of the game, like a scream of frustration. And you, I actually heard it when I was trying to walk into the media room. <laughs> I was like, why is everyone screaming right now? Um, but. I'm just curious how you motivate this team and get them at least back on track mentally um, trying to finish out November strong. I don't know if this team has what it takes to put together a good November, but if they can take what they learned in this week and what they did against Oregon State, the good parts, and translate that into something, I think that it would be good going forward. I don't know. But I don't know if they can do that. And by saying they, I think we almost always mean – the coaches and the players. Yes. If they can take what happened this week and connect all the dots and say, well, you know, if we do more of that and if we really focus on that and if we get our, get ourselves better, uh, you know, we'll be playing the next two teams in the Pac-12 
are, are better than Oregon State, uh, but we can also get better. You know, it's just not going to be, uh, you know, it's not just going to happen that we get better. We're going to have to work at it to get better, and we're going to have to decide this is what we need to get better at, and this is how we, how we get better. And if they do that, you know, they can at least finish six and three. And uh, if they finish six and three, you know, it's not a guarantee that they'll win the South, but uh, they got a pretty good, at least they have a really good shot if they finish six and three. All right. Well, before we jump into questions, we got some uh... breaking news. Well, not really breaking news. Uh, so I posted, we didn't really get a whole lot from the Sunday conference call. And Dan, we'll get your thoughts on that in a minute, but. Uh, Clay Helton does his conference call Sunday evenings. Just not a whole lot to report from that. We did. There are a couple of big injuries, and we didn't have uh, a lot of information Sunday night. We have a little bit more now. So I posted on the Peristyle yesterday that Michael Pittman uh, looked like he was going to be out for a while uh, with a shoulder injury, and then also uh, Stephen Carr, um, you know, has that high ankle sprain. Expected him to be out for a little while too. Iman Marshall, I posted, would probably not practice early this week. They're going to have to evaluate him. He had an ankle foot you know, injury also. And then on Trojans Live last night, I think they did it on Monday. I think they normally do it Tuesday. I don't remember, but they, yeah. They, I think they, yeah, they have the basketball game tonight. Yeah. Okay, so they did it on Monday instead. And so he kind of confirmed what I reported on the Peristyle earlier. So some sort of bone bruise with fluid in Michael Pittman's shoulder. He said doubtful, but he also said... Doesn't expect him to play. So don't expect Michael Pittman to play in this game. Uh, also with Stephen Carr, probably be a couple weeks. I think I pretty much ruled him out. Um, and then, you know, for Iman Marshall, they got to wait and see. And also Greg Johnson, we'll see what he does. He's got a shoulder injury. So there's some, you know, significant injuries. The secondary is pretty depleted right now. We'll see how uh, – we'll, he said Jonathan Lockett would get some uh, time at cornerback this week in practice. So he had played nickel because um, – we, uh, Janie Harris had to move to the other safety spot. So I don't know if they put a Janie back to nickel, if they put CJ Pollard at safety next to Marvell Tell, and then they get um, uh, Jonathan Lockett some more time at corner. We'll see. But there's there's not that many pieces there, but they might move them around a little bit in the secondary. And then with Michael Pittman, you're probably going to see a lot more Devin Williams, who got his first catch and, uh, and looked pretty good uh, in the game against Oregon State. But I don't know what you guys want to add to that. Yeah, I think Elijah Griffin returned or not. I mean, we thought maybe he had a chance last week, and then his his shoulder got sore, more sore toward the end of the week, and he was ruled out. But uh, his ability to come back at corner, I think, gives them a lot more opportunity. They they did mention the fact that C.J. Pollard, they thought, could play both. And, uh, you know, there are a couple of guys there, you know, Pai Young and, and uh, uh, Dominic Davis, who – you know, we see him, you know, on defense and practice. So uh, I don't know, you know, how that all plays out. Uh, I think Devin Williams, it's just unbelievable to me when you see the talent and the ability, a six-five kid who can really run and catch the ball, and it took till the Oregon State game to get him his first catch. I mean, it just seems kind of like crazy uh, when you think about it. But uh, But I think, you know, a bone bruise might be, preferable to you know some other structural things that you might have with your shoulder if you're michael i don't know about how much fluid that is but you know you can play with a bone bruise i mean it's it's painful but it's not something that keeps you from 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 being able to play i wouldn't think they'd push it real hard this week if there's fluid there but uh 
But I don't think, you know, a bone bruise is necessarily the kind of thing that just totally rules you out. I mean, you're not blocking, you know, and I have to block somebody all that much with your, with your shoulders. Even if you're going to throw as a wide receiver, you're usually throwing with your body or your, or your arms. But, uh, so, so I think they won't rush him back, but, uh, wouldn't be surprised he'd be back by, uh, UCLA. Yeah, I think USC got lucky with that one, if, if that's what his real injury is, because it looked pretty bad on the sideline. Um, I heard that he was crying, and, and he didn't come out until the, the third quarter, so it looked pretty bad. I'm just curious what USC's offense... But you know what? By the time he came out, he didn't look... He did not look like he was in that much pain. So it might have been one of those he, things that really hurt when, it, when you hit, but I didn't notice that he was as distraught uh, he wasn't afterwards. distraught when he came out, but he wasn't moving his right, his left no. like, side at all. So, I mean, who knows? Yeah, and I walked out behind uh, uh, Iman uh, after the game and walked into the uh, Gill Coliseum where they were dressing. And he was kind of limping on it and favoring it, but he wasn't getting any help. He didn't have it in any, you know, ice or wrap or anything else. Uh, uh, so... I'm I'm pretty upbeat in terms of he's got a chance. It, it didn't look so serious that, uh, you know, I mean, he was on his own and, you know, walked uh, whatever it was, two blocks, Kaylee, from the uh, stadium to the USC, USC dressing room. Uh, but uh, so I think he's got a chance. Uh, uh, Biggie does. Cool. Well, uh, that any other newsy things? I think that was kind of, there's not been. USC kind of has a chance in the Pac-12 South now. Yeah, we I put a story up about that. Um, so USC does not control its own destiny. Only Arizona State does. But USC just needs to win out, which you're talking about, you know, some bottom dwellers in the Pac-12, Cal and UCLA. Um, and then they have to have Utah, who doesn't have their starting quarterback, lose a game. And then they have to have Arizona State, who, who knows? They have to lose a game. Both those teams play Oregon, so Oregon could have a huge impact on the Pac-12 South race. It's a muddled mess. Everybody has at least three losses, some with four. You also have, you know, only Washington State has one loss in conference and Washington has two, but everyone else in the North has at least three. So the, the Pac-12 South is definitely more of a mess than the North, but the whole conference is kind of a mess. <laughs> yep, and deservedly so. I mean, <laughs> as Clay said, I will say this. The best thing he said this year, he said, if we win, if we lose this one game, we're we're going to be good to go in the Pac-12 South. Uh, yes, you are, Clay. Had you won, had you you know you beaten Arizona State and uh, scored more than three points against Stanford, you'd really be in good shape right now. I mean, you'd be making your reservations for Santa Clara. Uh, so, the idea that you know that the, the Arizona State game cost them the ability to have everything under their control just makes you realize how important it is to, to do the little things right, that they all the little things that they didn't do right in the Arizona State game. And that's where, you know, so much comes back to practice and the ability to just, you know, concentrate and focus and, and get it right and not get penalties and not drop the ball and all that kind of, not, you know, have guys that uh, make the wrong uh, fits on run, you know, run plays and you not have two guys tackle the dive man and, quarterback runs for um, you know the game winning touchdown you just can't do better than that and this team you know had they done better than that they're sitting pretty 
Should we jump into some questions, Keely? You ready? Let's do it. Uh, we have a text sent in from Brian from Bakersfield. He says, I don't believe there was any good that could have come from Saturday, Saturday night's win. Helton was in a lose-lose. Here's why. If we came out and played like we had the previous five to six games where we looked soft, undisciplined, very bad play calling, couldn't run the ball, couldn't throw with any consistency, and lost, he's out of a job. Has to be. But if we came out like we did, sharper than we've been before, playing hard, decent play calling, very solid running attack, and win, then he should be out as well. That shows you've allowed this team to look soft, you've allowed bad play calling, you've allowed just no running attack at all, this deep Hail Mary jump balls to move the sticks, you need to go, the coach for SC should never sit back and let us fall to the depths of mediocrity. Hard to argue. Hard to argue with that. I mean, they are in a place they shouldn't be. And and had they been, you know, better coached and disciplined and, and driven and, uh, you know, figured out what it is they need to do and how they need to get there to be able to do it, they wouldn't be where they are. So it was hard to have a, you know, to make that into a real win other than avoiding the alternative, which would have been total disaster and wipe everybody out and the season's over and the coaching staff is over. So that has to be a win of sorts. Uh, and and it was a win for some of the kids. I mean, for Aka Cedric and Vavai, you can't be happier than you were, you know, for those kids. For Chris Brown to have the kind of, you know, night he did, uh, you know, in terms of blocking, uh, you know, that's great. I mean, you, you just, that's where I think it, it, it kind of falls right now is you just be happy for these kids that they're, you know, getting something out of it and have some, having some success because they, uh, I think they deserve it. They do individually, I think, really. And also, playing Oregon State helps make the <laughs> team look better. No offense well, to Oregon State, the, yeah, but... The whole point, yeah. That's that's yeah. what we get a lot of on uh, you know, social media, on the, the message boards and stuff. And I, and I think part of the reason we didn't get as many questions this week, anywhere near as we get from other weeks, like during losses or different wins, people just aren't really sure what to make of yeah, they made a lot of changes last week. The offense looked better. They ran the ball well. They held their Oregon State to one yard per you know per rush, but it's Oregon State. So I just feel like people are kind of tempering their reactions or just not really putting – I don't think they're putting much stock into this game. And like, okay, let's see what happens the next two games. But it's not like the next two games yeah. are really tough teams either. Yeah. It's really going to be until – I mean, USC could easily go 3-0 and in these last three conference games and then – you know, whatever happens against Notre Dame, that's the, the real team that's left on the schedule. So I, I get where the fans are coming from, but it just seems to add to some of the indifference some of the fans are feeling. Well, I mean, it's one of those, you know, that, that fallacy where you think, okay, this happened, then this happened afterwards. Therefore, that first thing that happened, changing all the coaches around, caused what happened Saturday. That's not necessarily true at all. It, had they made no changes, Saturday might have happened exactly the way it did with same people, you know, calling plays, same people, coaches in the offensive line. It still could have played out exactly. So what we don't know, I think Keeley said it before, uh, what's important about last Saturday is what happens this week and next Saturday and the next Saturday and the next Saturday. Is this a, you know, kind of a, a roadmap to say, yeah, we need to, we need to, you know, hit a little bit more. We need to be more physical. We need to be absolutely able to run the ball no matter who we're playing. Uh, 
if that's and we need to be able to make that happen and what pra- what happens in practice determines whether we can make that happen in games if that all goes together you know then last week was progress if not you know we'll know soon enough yep couldn't have said it better myself uh we have a question <laughs> from eric warner who says, with all the questions swirling around about why Clay Helton does not solve the snapping problems by getting Brett Nealon in and Toa Lobendon moving to guard, could it be that Clay Helton promised Toa the center spot to entice him to come back for his senior year and is sticking to it out of loyalty? Huh. I thought of that. I think there, yeah, I mean, I, that last detail about, you know, the absolute promise in order to get him back, it, it would have defied credulity to think that, that, Toa thought there was a place for him to go after last season. I mean, and yet, you know, that hasn't kept USC players from going before. So uh, it wouldn't, boy, you, you would, it'd be hard for me to imagine that you would promise someone, hell, come hell or high water, you're going to be our guy. No. I mean, you know, if you do the job, you'll be our guy. I, I, I would find it hard to believe. I mean, I think the more credible uh, promise is uh, we're going to help you get to the NFL and the way you can get to the NFL is not a s- exclusively a single position player but as a guy who can go in and with with limited NFL rosters is a guy who could go in and back up all three spots in emergency and the fact that you could you know a lot of guys come in that haven't ever snapped and and and, and couldn't back up a center and if the roster you know, choice gets down to the guy who can play all the positions or, the, or a guy who can't. They might keep the guy who can play all positions over the guy who uh, who can't do that. So I think that might be part of the calculation. I, I don't think there's any question that that's, that's part of the calculation and that they both agreed on, on that. But uh, I, I think it gets to a point where, I mean, even if you say, oh, it only happened twice, that's two drives. Yeah. You know, you can't. That's two drives. You can't afford this team with the way they block and the way they get penalties. They can't afford two plays where the ball is rolling around on the ground. They just can't. That just no. Uh, it, it, you, you just have to make a change, uh, and you just you know find out. As if you know, Coach Callaway always said that five best guys are going to play, and if Toa is one of your five best blockers, then find a place for him. But if he's not your best snapper. He shouldn't be in there snapping. The only good news was the uh, much more ease of putting uh, uh, JT Daniels under center, and they looked much more confident. And they've done it more in practice. Again, practice makes you know that practice makes good things happen, and they look like they're much more comfortable doing that. So that's the one one real positive that came out of uh, out of the snapping situation uh, last weekend is th- their willingness to put him under there. And not have the sense that uh, are we going to blow this snap because we haven't practiced it much. Uh, that look and a, and a quarterback sneak even off of it, which uh, that that matters. That stuff being able to do that and being able to do it without thinking and and being very comfortable doing it, you know, is really important. And so that again, that was a step forward. And that was progress. The uh, yeah, when you look at that, if that if those two snaps happen in the Cal game and the balls bounce around like that you probably don't recover either one of them. So it just, there was nothing, there was just nothing going on with the the Oregon State defensive front. They couldn't capitalize on those mistakes. But I think the other teams you play, 
will be able to do that. And this has been, you know, we get this question so much. It's on Twitter. It's on our message boards. It's on the emails and texts and everything that we get. And Dan, I don't know what to say because when Clayton was asked directly, he's like, to love another our center. Like he's not switching. Like I, I I'm convinced he's not switching. I mean, maybe if he has like five bad snaps or something, but at this point, it, what he's seen has not convinced him that a switch needs to be made. Yeah. I mean, there, there are some things that happen with this team that don't, I mean, there are decisions that are made that don't look reality based. They look like they're hope based. Uh, and I don't think that's good enough. I think you've got to be, you know, really, uh, you know, when you make those decisions, they have to be based in reality and you cannot afford two series. You, I mean, you don't get over. I mean, that's like a penalty only. You lose the down too. I mean, you know, when you, you get a penalty and lose that many yards, you get a, you get the down over. You get a bad snap, lose those yards. You don't get the down over. So now you're, you're, you're screwed in that, in that uh, series. And you cannot afford to have that many, uh, you know, breakdowns, uh, cause you don't get that many. And another thing this, this team doesn't do, and they did a little bit with a little more tempo is that, you would think when USC has a personnel advantage, they'd want to run more plays because the more plays you have, the more chances you have of guys like Devin Williams beating somebody deep for a touchdown or Aka Cedric Royer, you know, running for, but USC has seemed to be content much of the year to go fairly slow and not have a lot of plays, which means you can't have the breakdowns. You can't have the penalties. You can't have the tackles for losses that you give up, which that didn't happen much. And you can't have the, you know, the, uh, the ball rolling around on the ground. And it makes it life, I think, just so much. And JT says, no, no, you've always got to be ready for bad snaps. And blah, blah. it doesn't take his eyes off the, the defense and, and, and what the receivers are doing right away. And it, it, it has to. I mean, there, he can't. He's not confident in that he can just stand there with his hands out, that the ball will be there, and he doesn't have to take his eyes off the defense. And that. You know, with with a kid who's as analytical as JT is and who processes information as quickly as he does, to not be able to do that takes away, I think, one of the real assets and one of the things that set him apart as an 18-year-old freshman, that he could do that. And to not be able to do that, I think, really, uh, that's kind of unfair to the offense and to JT that they've got to, you know, pay so much attention to tracking the ball down before they can do anything. That's a little extra time that the defense has to react and a little extra time you don't have to take advantage of the defense. And I think it's hurt them throwing the ball over the middle. Uh, You just don't see them doing that as much. I think that's one of the factors. And if this is for Toa and the next level, at what point is him at center hurting his chances of the next level? I'm not sure they pay that much attention. I don't know. The NFL... When you see some of the things they do in terms, I mean, for example, as well run and as well coached as the Rams are, they get Robert Woods from Buffalo this year. And everybody at the Rams is, wow, he's really fast. He's an athlete. He can really, and you think he's been in the league five years. Did you watch any film? You know, I know it's Buffalo, but it was like the people at the Rams didn't know what they were getting when they got Robert Woods. So you never want to uh, assume that the people in the NFL will actually do their homework when you 
see some of the things that happen in the NFL. So you might be able to get away with it as just, yes, he was the center at USC, and nobody checks out the rest of it. True. Uh, we have a question from Steve in Poway who says, if Kerry Colbert is the tight ends coach and three of the five lowest rated offensive players using the PFF pro football focus ratings this week are tight ends, how much blame slash responsibility does he deserve? Is this just lack of execution, offensive scheming? Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we really don't know. I mean, they were, you know, they were the responsibility of John Baxter last year. And they were kind of uncoached, it seems like. I mean, you know, Terry Enzeline walked away, and I don't think, you know, did we got the sense that Coach Baxter didn't know he was gone because um, he didn't know he was here. Uh, so they, they haven't been coached up much recently. Kerry uh, is obviously not a, you know, not a tight end. He wasn't somebody, uh, you know, coaching him up. Uh, he was a wide receiver. Uh, and yet, I I don't always like it that we personalize things with this coaching staff because so much of it has to do with the overall scheme and the way they practice. And so it's so hard to break it down and say, this is your responsibility, uh, you know, exclusively. I mean, I don't think we know what's happened to Tyler Petit. I mean, I, I just, I don't know we have a good explanation as to, what's going on with him this senior season. It just, you know, and, and Josh Fallow, we think has got some real ability, but, um, it just, it just, it's just hard to look at that position and say, how do you not get, um, something more positive out of that position? And, and I don't think we have really good answers. Uh, is it practice? Is it the way they, you know, incorporate the tight ends into this scheme, which hasn't, you know, which basically took uh, Daniel Baby to just make some really good individual plays two years ago. But with him not being here, you know, last year, this year, it, it just seems like a position that uh, uh, is so uh, little, produ- uh, there's so little production coming out of that position. You just, uh, you don't know what to say. And I don't have a good answer. I got uh, one quick thing real quick came by on the Twitters as we were talking because um, it's just I want to pat myself on the back. So <laughs> uh, pro football focus. We put up grades from them every week up on uscfootball.com. They put out a tweet. Pac-12 running backs 2018 season. So a minimum of 50 attempts. The overall grade. Do you want to guess who the top running back in the Pac-12 is according to pro football focus, Dan? Mm. Why would I pat myself on the back unless there's someone that I was it was it is it our guy? Aka Cedric we, Ware. Overall, Aka Cedric? Overall grade of eighty-three. He beats out Eno Benjamin, uh James Williams from Washington State, Zach Moss from Utah, and Joshua Kelly from UCLA, all having monster seasons. But um they gave him a great wow. overall grade of eighty-three. So he was my preseason. Yeah. Pick for breakout player. I got a lot of crap on Twitter from people. They're telling me he's terrible. I told you. I thought you were. I told you. I thought you were exactly right. Thank you. I thought that. Yes, I did. So I uh, I saw that. We're whatever nine games or what are we? Yeah, nine games in. So all those people that said I was an idiot. There. Meh. So that's (laughs) how mature is that? Perfect. Very mature. (laughs) Well, I'm really happy for Aka Cedric, and and hopefully that helps him. 
at the next level because he's he's not gotten a fair shot this year. I mean, you, one would like to say, what would he be doing if he were running by behind all, you know Utah's offensive line or you know um, who else? I'm trying to think. You got Benjamin um, and um, Zach Moss and Benjamin. Yeah, Arizona State. JJ Taylor is not. They just a, stayed yeah. after it. They just stayed after it. They yeah. didn't, you know, give up on it. JJ Taylor's really good for Arizona too. For he's yeah. not. He doesn't have a high grade. And Michael Lev tweeted maybe because of he's got some fumbles, but he's been stellar this year too. So there's there's some really he good. He does it on backs. his own though. He does it on his own. Yeah. I think he's just one of those you know scat backs that that just has to take advantage of you know his own skill set. But Aka Cedric is like you know Benjamin and Moss. He needs some push. He needs some creases. But when he gets them, I mean, you know, if he can get to the second level, and that was what, you know, I thought Delane McCullough did such a good job last year is showing those guys every day, how do you get to the next, second level against the team we're playing? And that was one of the things I think he did so well with the trash cans and all that was teaching them how to make that first cut. And, uh, you know, I think that's been missing this year. I mean, they really, they're no, there's nobody coaching them. I mean, I don't care how much everybody's trying and pitching in. Uh, you miss a guy, you know, like Delane McCullough. So that's a, that's great news for Aka Cedric. We have a text from Mike in the Bay Area who says, Question for Keely and Dan. I watched a lot of games on Saturday and saw some tough physical football. Then the USC game started and I realized the Trojans are soft as baby poop he didn't use the word poop but uh it's a pc uh, or pg show i know lots of rushing yards and at times the backs and o-lines are doing work but it's against oregon state comparing rosters i feel like we should beat them by a minimum of 28 am i alone crazy living in la la land thanks for all the content and hard work you put into the site fight on yeah i mean it does disturb you a little bit to see usc come out and they warm up not quite at the same speed of whoever they're playing. And it takes them a while, I think, to get into the game. It's, that's, they, that's not how they practice. And it, it, it almost takes an active will for these kids to get up to game speed. It's, they go all week, and they you know, don't spend a lot of time at game speed, under game pressure, and game tempo. And that's what you want to see happen in practice. So that doesn't have to happen when, you know, the, the glory years, you know, you always heard, Hey, practice was faster, quicker, you know, more pressure. Uh, you know, you, they didn't have to, you know, speed it up and, and, and gear up to, uh, games. And that's, uh, that's not what, that's not what we're seeing. And yeah, it's kind of noticeable the lack of, uh, just power and physicality that USC comes out of the gate with. It's just not always there and almost not ever there. They do get with it, uh, you know, eventually, you know, the problem is against really good teams, it's too late. It doesn't matter. I mean, and and like against the Utah, they never get with it because it's over, uh, you know, before, uh, you know, before they, uh, they get going. So, uh, yeah, they're not, they're not like the really good programs that come out and play with uh, with you know, power and, and and certitude about what they're doing and with the you know 
the game plan is basically to beat people down and, and, and make them not want to play and, and, you know, make them say, let's wait till next week. And that's not what USC does. That's just not how they approach things. And I think it is pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, we have a question from someone who didn't put a name in, so no one sent in an email saying, I'm not saying names over here. Uh, we, Keela got a little flack, Dan, this week for not saying the people's names. I like, do ooh. say the names. I, I don't know why she just doesn't like to say people's names. Oh, man. <laughs> she people doesn't. live for that, Keely, for I'm you. Say, I say the names. Them. And it might not be... Yeah, it might just be we forgot to put it in the we put it in a Google Doc. So if we left so it off, blame Ryan is yeah. the real. Well, it's actually Chloe's been doing it, so blame we're, the we're gonna blame the intern Chloe. But no, we we try to say them all, and and Keely's going to try from now on to say people's names. I've literally <laughs> tried to whatever. Oh, we have a question that says which scenario would be better and which would be worse for Clay Helton's prospects of keeping his job next year. Scenario one: finishing the regular season seven and five with a loss to Notre Dame, but not making the Pac-12 championship game. Or scenario two, winning the South but finishing the year seven and six with losses to Notre Dame and the Pac-12 North champion. That's a really good question. I don't know. I think it would depend on, you know, uh, you hate to say, oh, let's rank the losses. You know, was it a good loss or a bad loss or a big loss or a? Uh, that's a. I know. I so, don't. Yeah. So it's interesting. So if you want to keep... know that, that's a really interesting question. Though. So, I mean. I, I don't know. Would they put up the banner? Pac-12 South champs, you know? Yeah. Uh, so would you rather have, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Like, so there's obviously there's people, there's real people, USC fans out there that are not hoping that USC wins games because they want to see a change with the coaches. But that's a real thing where if you go seven and five and say ASU just wins out. So they make the uh, Pac-12 championship game and you know, you go to like the whatever bowl, it would be, the, you know, Vegas Bowl or whatever it is, something like that. Um, is that worse than going to the championship game and getting, and it depends, you know, if it's a close, like crazy matchup, it probably wouldn't hurt you that much. But if you go against Washington State, a team you already beat and get like smoked, that after getting smoked by Notre Dame, I think how you lose in these games too would ma- would matter. If it's like close loss to Notre Dame, close loss to Washington State, you could you know Glenn Swan would say, "Hey, we made the title game two years yeah. in a row," and yeah, blah blah blah. But the blowouts would that's what resonates with a lot of the upset fans and boosters and stuff. So I it's a great question, but I think it would really depend on how you lose. Yeah, and then you could go to a bowl game and you could lose again, and so then you would end up. Uh, seven and seven with three straight losses. Yeah, that uh, would that would be bad. Um, the number of losses think, is what's yeah, concerned. Like scenarios are so seven many. losses in a season is a lot of losses. Like that's this is a way too talented team to lose seven times in one season. Oof. Yeah, that's rough. I mean, obviously that hasn't happened yet. This is like the hypothetical yes. that's coming up. But and, and the thing that everybody keeps throwing up is Notre Dame was four and eight two years ago. Look where they are. You know, and then you say, well, is, is Clay Helton, you know, uh, Coach Kelly? I don't know. Is he, uh, you know, can he do that? I mean, they, you know, and, and they will use that model because they'll say, well, Notre Dame told him he had to fire all his coaches. <clears throat> he mostly did. And look where they are. Uh, but um, I don't know if USC's exactly in that same place. How, what if USC takes care of, Cal and UCLA, but then completely gets destroyed against Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, 
And it was. And they, I think they're okay. They could do that and still make okay. the Pac-12 championship game. You know. Yeah, true. Yeah. Like. So I think they're probably okay. I think everybody has written off the Notre Dame. I'm a, I'm stunned that everybody has written off. Now Notre Dame's a different team than you know they stumbled a little bit, but uh, you know Ball State wasn't a good good win for them. Uh, they got taken to the you know the wire by Pittsburgh. And that was after they got the new quarterback, who was really good, Book uh, Ian Book, yeah, Ian and then Buck. they got the uh, the running back who had to sit out the first four games, Dexter Williams, I guess is, is that his name, and he's really good too. So they're a much better team than maybe when they uh, and they beat you know they beat they beat Michigan, Michigan with yeah you know before they really figured that out. So um, you know. Uh, I, I, I mean, Dan, do you think I, this I could work? Notre Dame, yeah, the Notre Dame game gives them a chance. So, I mean, if you're USC, you want that game. I mean, what better opportunity is there to, you know, salvage a season if you're the, you know, the coaches and the players? And it'll be Notre Dame's second trip to California, I guess, this year. And, uh, um, you know, they don't have a great record at the Coliseum. I mean, they barely beat Lane Kiffin's. Uh, Max Wittick quarterback team the year they went to the you know the championship game <clears throat> out here so uh, uh, Notre Dame doesn't necessarily come into the Coliseum feeling really good about themselves I don't think ever now this year might be an exception yeah but uh, well this might work to Clay Helton's advantage because you're like you said everyone is writing off the Notre Dame game no one expects USC to win so sometimes you play a game like Oregon State, there's no upside. Like, if you kill them, you should have killed them. If it's close, why didn't you kill them? And if you lose, obviously you lose. In this case, no one's going to expect USC to beat Notre Dame. So if Clay Hilton can pull that off, he will get a lot of a lot more credit for that, I think, yeah. because no one expected him to do that. Yeah, I would guess he beats Notre Dame this year. It may do more than he had just one year to his – his. I mean, really. Uh, you can't – overstate how important that would be if they win the next two uh and with a chance to finish with four straight and you know getting the pac-12 championship or a decent bowl uh with an upset of notre dame um, knocking them out of the college football playoff like knocking them out that that it's na- that you're nationally can- relevant at that point because you are not relevant right now nationally you knock notre dame out of the playoff you are changing the narrative and you know you've you've had a hand in the playoff even though you're not going and everybody would know about it. Everybody yes. would be paying attention to that game. So it'll be like, oh, I didn't think USC was that good, but I guess they're they're kind of back, maybe. Oh, wow. Well, uh. So you, you you absolutely cannot overstate how important that game would be, especially if they win the next two. I mean, it's just there's no way to, uh, you know, you can't. It, it's everything for and for the program. I mean, it changes the whole recruiting that game. If you uh, if you could do that, end up four straight, and it'd be oh we're on the right path, we figured it out, you know we had some hard, you know rough spots there, but boy now we're sailing, and who could argue? It's true, it's crazy. Yeah, I think it all starts with Cal. If you can show something different, a little bit more put together against Cal, I'll buy in. But right now I'm still kind of skeptical. <laughs> yeah, you got to build. You got to make this week. You got to be better every practice this week. And be better with the cow game. Then you got to do the same thing the next week. And right now, it's like 
stuff just happens to this team and maybe they get better and maybe they don't and maybe practice is connected to the game and maybe it's not and who you know it's like no you're in control of what you do and 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 you know what plays you call and how well you you know you you know how to run them and you know you don't run uh the first ever speed option of the whole year you know deep in your own territory uh to the short side of the field and and give up I mean, you know, everybody wants to talk about what would the difference have been in the Arizona State game if Tyler Vaughns would have held on to the ball, if he'd have known that guy was right behind him. Now, if you practice like like you really should, you would often have somebody right behind a guy who catches the ball, and he would learn to protect it immediately. But since that doesn't happen, you're allowed to kind of nonchalant your way through practice. But even if they don't get that touchdown – if they don't give Arizona State a touchdown with that play call, uh, you know, the play they had no chance of executing properly, uh, they win the game. I mean, it's just, you just can't do it. So practice matters. And, you know, the Oregon State game didn't matter as much as today's practice, I don't think. Today's practice really matters. So does tomorrow's. We'll see. We will see indeed. We have a they'll, question. They'll, they'll be, it'll be, uh, Pad, full pads November for the first time in a long while today. True. That'll be a sight to see. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get there early and take photos. <laughs> we have a question from Nick from Cy- Cyprus who says, my question is simple, DW. What do you think of the front seven getting after Jake Luton and keeping Jamar Jefferson to less than 75 yards? I thought by far the best game for the young defensive lineman and, and Christian Rector obviously uh, you know, did what he did and, and, and was in on a lot of stuff. But I, I thought, you know, Brandon Peely and uh, Marlon Tui Pelotu and, uh, and, and Jay Tufele, for the first time, that looked like, okay, that's what those guys are supposed to look like. I thought they were active. I thought they were tough. Uh, and Marlon was going home to, you know, to Oregon, and that was cool. And um, uh, so I liked, I liked it a lot. And, you know, I thought the linebackers, uh, you know, Cam Smith was coming back and, and I don't you know he was not a hundred percent yet, but, uh, just so nice to have him in there. But, uh, I think the front four, and I thought that was as well as we've seen them play. And I, I just, they have to control games. I don't know that we've seen that so far, but, uh, Saturday gives us some sense of, uh, that they do have the ability to control games. I mean, they're big enough, they're strong enough, they're athletic enough. Um, you know, they ought to be able to do that. And that was, I mean, that was probably the, the most underplayed point of that game is uh, that, you know, that Jefferson kid's been running the ball on everybody. And he just flat out, they, they just treated him, you know, they ragdolled him. I mean, they just grabbed him and threw him down. He didn't have a chance. I mean, he just had, had nowhere to go. That was... Uh, that was really impressive. That was the best thing that happened in the game, I think. Yeah, for sure. We have a question from Steve, USC class of 97, who says, first off, I want to say how proud I am that my email made it through Keeley's tough screening process and was answered <laughs> on the podcast last week. It's hard, man. It's not easy. <laughs> I'm reading them all today. Uh, he says, true or false, if Clay Helton keeps his job, there won't be a legitimate national search for a new offensive coordinator. It will come down to one of three guys, Tyson Helton, Tim Drebno, or Brian Ellis. You make a good point. Yeah, there won't be. No. Well, I'm not sure 
they're in a place where they can exactly do that. I mean, I'm sure Notre Dame probably had to give guys multi-year contracts uh, with their coaching, uh, you know, hires and all of that the last you know, two years ago. Uh, is USC willing to do that? Uh, it might be a hard sell uh, to, you know, both pay uh, the premium that you would have to get to get one of those guys, and then secondly to uh, uh, to make it a multiple year deal uh, just in case. You know, uh, who would come uh, without a multi year deal if you're one of those guys? Uh, because you would say, geez, I know there's uh, the head coach is in some jeopardy here, and uh, and yet. Is there that person out there? You know, they found Dylan McCullough. You know, is there is there a Dylan McCullough out there? Hey, I might go for Dylan McCullough as the offensive coordinator. Uh, and you, again, you have to go a pretty good, you know, author in multiple years. But uh, uh, you know, he knows the fight song too, Ryan. So uh, I might go with yeah. him. How does Anything? that settle in your rankings? No, I love Dylan McCullough, but uh, I think, you know, I think it would be beneficial for Clay Helton to go out and get some college football offense guru and have him run the offense. It could be very something similar to what they're running now, but give the hand the keys over to somebody that's learned from, you know, from different tr coaching trees of a college offense. If you want to keep doing that, I know a lot of USC fans would like to go back to um, you know, student body left, student body right. But if you're going to run like this college offense, I just don't know the origins of where this playbook and how it was designed and all that stuff came from. If you go out and get somebody that was, you know, was Jeff Brahms, you know, right-hand man or somebody, someone like that, uh, I think that you would do, uh, that would be great. But I, like Dan I, said, I don't think they'll do something like that though. I am I, I hate to kind of disagree, but you know, because uh, he does get, you know, put down uh, Brian Ellis, he was uh, kind of Jeff Brom's right-hand man. I mean, he was the offensive coordinator at Western at the at the very end. Uh, he, he for like uh, one game. <laughs> huh? He was like one game. He was he was like a full-time assistant for one year, a wide receiver coach. Like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about. No, but someone. he was. I mean, he was a quarterbacks coach then, and then he. No, he I wasn't mean, the full-time. Uh, this is the first time he's been a full-time quarterback coach. Like he was, he was at a full-time assistant for one year in college. So that's why I was opposed. I like Brian Ellis a lot, but that's why I was opposed to bringing him in because you had three inexperienced quarterbacks and this is really his first, this is his first time being paid to be a quarterback coach as a full-time assistant. So no, I'm not talking about that. Personally, that's not what I would do. I would get someone that's, uh, you know, experienced, you know, maybe long-time offensive coordinator that that comes from some you know good coaching tree. I think that would be positive, but that that's all. But I'm then, saying. if you're going to do that, I think you need to give him the power to take it all apart and completely rebuild it. Oh yes, I just think 100%. if you're going to if you're going to try, if Clay is you know going to hold on to and and T uh, you know are going to hold on to the gumbo offense, I just don't think somebody like that makes a lot of sense because right. they're not going to have much, uh, you know, they're not going to have much to do. If Clay still stays involved with, well, this is what I know and this is what I'm comfortable with. And T says, yeah, this is what I know and what I'm comfortable with. Uh, I think you're, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors. Now, if you want to go out and hire a guy, you know, and, and rebuild it completely, although to be honest, 
I think Brian Ellis, just because he coached for Jeff Brom, would have a better chance of redesigning it. I mean, I think Jeff Brom is the smartest uh, offensive coach in college football. or He's right there. Lincoln Riley, I think, is really, uh, obviously really good. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think you get somebody from someplace where they – I mean, they're doing what they're doing without a lot of talent, uh, like at a Purdue or somewhere. Obviously, the guy at, at Iowa State, you know, does a great job without a, without a lot of talent. I just don't know that you always know what you're getting when you get a coordinator. I mean, you just yeah, uh, yeah because the, you know the separation between the coordinator and the head. Because I still remember um, when, uh, when I was a kid, Bill Walsh was the uh, offensive coordinator at the Bengals. Then he moves on, and obviously to really bigger and better things. And he's the head coach at the 49ers. And a lot of those Bengals assistants, or guys who played for him at the Bengals, ended up going through the 49ers. And they all kept getting head coaching jobs because everybody would say he was Bill Walsh's offensive coordinator yeah. at the 49ers. And you'd say, no, he wasn't. <laughs> Bill Walsh was the offensive coordinator at the 49ers. He was just the guy who held the clipboard. You know, and 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 ran, uh, you know, ran that part of prior. You know, ran all. You know, did the did the game plans and and you know, ran them through the, uh, you know, Xerox machine or whatever. But uh, uh, that's why it, I think it's always hard to find that coordinator who you know. And then I give Pete Pete Carroll credit. That was one of his great decisions. He went and found, you know, Norm Chow had had kind of worn out his welcome at BYU and ended up at North Carolina State for a year. And Coach Philip Rivers and Pete, you know, did this kind of national search and said, we need a guy. I'm a, I'm a defensive coach. Who do we get? And they found Norm Chow. And that was, you know, for a few years, that worked out really well. They kind of got on one another's nerves at USC as well. But, uh, but that's what USC did, and that's what they needed to do. If you could still do that, yeah, you do that. If you could find a guy at North Carolina State or somewhere like that, uh, and you really know he's the guy, then then go get him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think they will for the question, but that's that's what yeah. I would like to see too. I think we're on the same page. Yeah. We have a question. But who would do that? That's a pro- we don't have a history of hiring head coaches or the next level down of going and finding that guy. I mean, let's face it. That's why Clay is the head coach here because. No one at USC trusted anyone to go out and find the next head coach after Sark and, and Kiffin. It was basically, oh, we couldn't possibly go out and hire a coach and get, get him right. And so Clay got his opportunity. And this is where, you know, if you're the Clay Helton and you get that chance at USC, you have to make it happen. And, you know, he's got a few games to, to do that at this point. We have a question from Jason in Longhorn Country who says, do you think all of this hullabaloo being raised by Mike Leach about the SC game is simply posturing for the college football playoffs? It sure looks like Washington State could run the table, and if they do, it seems like Leach may be trying to build his case for a thought in the CFP. So now uh, now that it is in the committee's minds come selection time that the Cougars could have been undefeated if not for a corrupt Pac-12. Seeing as he is a former attorney, it seems plausible that he's putting evidence in front of the jury to put it in their minds, even if an objection objection to the presentation of this evidence is sustained by the judge, the Pac-12. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I wouldn't call him an attorney. He has a law degree uh, from Pepperdine. Uh, attorney, uh, maybe not. But he's making a good case. It's an easy case to make. Uh, Pac-12 is either corrupt and or incompetent, and they got it wrong. Obviously, that wasn't the only thing they got wrong in that game, and there were offsetting things. But if you're going to try to make your case, and now, for example, people on the uh, committee, on the college football playoff committee, are getting the question, did you consider the, what happened in the USC game uh, that maybe Washington State would be unbeaten? And they will say things like, no, no, we didn't consider that at all. Well, the very fact that they're being asked that question, they can't avoid that uh, in somewhere in a discussion in the back of their minds, whatever. And it's very smart by Mike Leach, although it, it is kind of silly for the, you know, my favorite fans of the whole world, Washington State fans, to be saying, Ooh, USC gets all the calls. They've got all the influence in the Pac-12. I mean, it tells you how remote Pullman, Washington is and cut off from the rest of civilization if they think USC gets a good deal from the Pac-12 or has gotten a good deal from the Pac-12 for the last how many decades. I mean, that's that's another non-reality-based uh, you know decision that, uh, that if you think USC – is uh, is favored in anything in the Pac-12. I mean, that's that's clearly not the case. But uh, you can't go wrong by saying the Pac-12 did it wrong. The Pac-12 screwed us. The Pac-12, blah blah blah. That's a that's a an argument everybody will buy. So yeah. I don't blame I don't blame Washington State for doing it. I'd do it if I were them. You you want to? I wouldn't believe. The Pac-12 I wouldn't screwed. believe it, but I'd do it. <laughs> the one team the Pac-12 screwed for 100% certainty is is Utah. Utah's schedule, yeah. Washington, Washington State, Oregon, and Stanford for the North, and they are the only team in the Power Five that has to go on back-to-back conference road games twice. So in the SEC, you don't ever have to do that. You never play back-to-back conference road games. Utah has to do it twice. So they're the only team in the Pac-12 that has everyone. Most everyone in the Pac-12 has to do that because it's the Pac-12. But no one does it twice, and Utah does, along with the hardest schedule possibly imaginable. So that's ridiculous. So that's what's wrong with the Pac-12. No one in the SEC or the Big Ten would accept that. No one. They would flat out go absolutely crazy when the – uh, projected schedule, you know, tentative schedule came over. You know, they'd say, no, we're not doing this. No. And the Pac-12, everybody just says, okay, I guess, you know, uh, whatever. I mean, that's where being on the West Coast probably hurts you. You can't just say, oh, whatever. No. You <laughs> say, no, we're not doing that. No, that's not fair to our players. No. No, we're not doing it. And I don't know. I, yeah, why Utah didn't object? Oh my, you know. I, yeah. I mean, and obviously it happened to USC. Uh, you know, happened happened to USC last year. I think you this know, year too. This- USC's like first four conference games. Everyone they played had like an extra day of rest or something. It's not as bad as like a couple years ago when everyone was coming off. Like everyone they a played. Bye week. Yeah, it was, it was like 2016 I think, was, or 2015, I believe. It was like ridiculous. Yeah. But there was, you know, there's there's things like that that happen. You're like, what are you doing? And and always putting, but they put a lot. It's not like they're just one team. They put a lot of teams in peril. And once you do that, it's like it makes it hard for someone to make a run because everyone has these uphill battles that you don't get in the SEC. 
Well, I mean, here's the difference. Pac-12 farms out, has been farming out the schedule to some, you know, computer, whoever. I don't know. I mean, they're, they're not, the Pac-12 doesn't do their own schedule. Do you think the SEC would ever no. farm a schedule out? Are you kidding me? They're going to control that 100%. 100%. They're controlling it. Yeah. With I mean, strategy. they do it to try to take advantage of, you know, what's best for everybody in the league. And everybody gets a shot. They get to build up to the big games. And, you know, they, you don't see anybody. I think the only bad thing that happens in the SEC because they divide East and West is, uh, and you get only certain teams in the other other side. For example, Alabama never has to play Georgia. They're right next to one another. They haven't played each other in regular season for like you know twenty years. <laughs> Where uh, I think Florida and LSU, uh, East and West, uh, LSU always gets Florida, or Florida always gets LSU in the crossover part of the schedule. That's the only bad thing. Uh, that they do in the SEC. I mean, the rest of it, they basically take care of everybody. In the Pac-12, almost everybody gets screwed every year. I mean, it's just, how is that possible? You can't get this right. Uh, you know, but they can't, and they don't, and nobody seems to care. And the, the fact that Larry Scott last year, the championship game, didn't realize that playing back-to-back road games with the second one on a Friday was really disadvantageous to the team that had to travel those two weeks uh, in a row. And he actually said, and I asked, it was Ryan's question. He actually said, <laughs> we didn't know that. Oh, now we know. We had no idea. And I'm thinking that means the schools themselves weren't complaining, apparently, or he's lying, yeah. uh, or he's an idiot. How do you not know that? Or I all. mean, who on the P didn't know that five years ago? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it, it's mind-boggling the, the stupidity of the Pac-12. So so for Mike Leach, you can't play that card too much. Everybody will believe you. They screwed me and they cheated me and they don't know what they're doing. And everybody around the country will say, "Yep, I believe that." We have one final question. We made it through it all, guys. We did it. From SC Maid, who says, I had a question for Dan that presented itself as a huge issue to me following Ryan's tunnel vision with Colin Cowherd a few weeks back. Colin mentioned multiple times that other coaches in the CFB, some of the Pac-12, have told him point blank that this staff is not good, full of grab bag plays, and they only win because of their talent. That comes off to me as pure lack of respect towards Clay. When that comes from your peers, isn't that a pretty big issue? I know word spreads like wildfire in every community, and there's no way that Lynn has not Lynn Swan has not heard this as well. This coach and staff appears to be a joke to those within the college football community. Pretty sad for USC to have that type of guy running the program. Curious to hear what Dan's thoughts are from Colin's comments. No, he, I mean that's the way the that's the way it is. I mean, uh, I don't know that I've heard. And however many years another coach say, man, that USC team is really well coached. Uh, I don't know that I've ever, I've, uh, we heard them all say how much talent they've got or how much they tried to get to Sam Darnold, but they just couldn't. He just, you know, we did everything, but they didn't say because of the pass protection or the schemes or whatever. They just said because of, you know, Sam Darnold being Sam. Um, I think it's pretty much the uh, – it's one of the things they've got to overcome because a lot of teams, like Arizona State last week or or the way Utah treated them, uh, they don't have a lot of respect for USC. 
USC in their minds is beatable. I mean, USC, they feel like, I mean, Colorado came in here. I think they were almost cocky. Honestly, I mean, they hadn't beaten anybody, but you got the sense and, and the Colorado fans, you know, just were like outraged that you said, you know, there's no comparison between the talent on these two teams and, and they, they really shouldn't have a shot. If USC comes out and plays and they were like, what are you talking about? We're Colorado. We haven't lost anybody. No, uh, there's not a lot of respect for this USC team in terms of its toughness, physicality. I mean, USC is a program for most of the years. Teams feared playing USC. They did not want to play USC. USC would punish you. USC would make you not want to finish the game. USC would make you not feel like you could play real well the next week. People didn't want to play USC. That's so far from the case now. I mean, USC to most of the, you know, the people in the Pac-12 is a chance for a big win. And their kids come out and very often play, you know, above their, uh, above their heads just because they think that, you know, there's a toughness that's not there. When you see uh, the Benjamin kid run the way he did for Arizona State, when you see Zach Moss run the way he did, uh, you know, those guys think we can run the run, you know, we can run these guys off the field. We're just tougher than they are. Uh, so that was the one encouraging thing, certainly about the um, Oregon State game was they didn't let the Jefferson kid run on them. But, you know, the the difference in talent between USC's defensive line, the Oregon offensive line is, is pretty great. But, um, yeah, uh, I don't think Collins, uh, what Collins hearing is not wrong. He's hearing the right stuff. All right. Well, we should probably wrap it up. I know you guys got to get to practice. Uh, I think I'm going to sit this one out, let you guys cover. It's my homecoming week. It's my reunion week, man. I'm just going to just you know, chill out, Ryan. Just going to chill, you know, do some podcasts, do some live shows. But thanks uh, for all the questions. And uh, thanks to Keely for actually reading some of them. That was great. Excuse <laughs> you. <laughs> just kidding. Keely does a great job doing it. But uh, yeah, got to get through the screening process. Um, <laughs> it wasn't as bad, you know, it wasn't as bad this week because, you know, there's just wasn't as many questions this week. True. So yeah. that's good. It, it, it's a little more manageable. Uh, we'll see after this weekend uh, what what it, what it, it looks goes. like. <laughs> yeah, Cal's got a really good defense, but we'll talk about that. We got. Um, I'll do a preview show, uh, a podcast on Wednesday. We'll also have our tunnel vision show on Thursday, so that should be fun. We'll preview what's going on with USC and California season wrapping up, which is hard to believe, but it's almost uh, we're almost to the end. That's crazy, crazy stuff. Um, then you got to wait all those months, and then yeah. uh, you know. Uh, but uh, the real wrap up, we can all look forward to Rose Bowl week, of course, right? It's it's still out there. I mean, <laughs> oh my is that amazing? It, you can even say that. It's like. Not even that. I mean, I would I would give you like a thirty five percent chance that this team goes to the Rose Bowl. Maybe that's too high, but it's it's something. Maybe twenty five. So ridiculous that that you can even say anything like that. Just, yeah, we'll know we'll know a lot more this weekend, but um, it's it's out there. I mean, USC's already beat Washington State this year, so it's not like it would be impossible to beat them again. And then getting to the Pac twelve championship game wouldn't be that crazy. So. Could be Rose Bowl bound. We'll see. Who knows? There's a lot of you know, Rose Bowl or Vegas Bowl. You know, it's like it could be anything in between. <laughs> that's that's kind of what this USC team is. Uh, all right. Well, that's Keely. You're Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to listen to our little show, The Peristyle Podcast. We appreciate it. And we will talk to you next time.
You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 